You're listening to Conservation Connection. I'm Chance. I'm Sarah Catherine. We're a husband and wife team running an environmental education nonprofit that's focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week, here on Conservation Connection, we do just that by introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe. We talk to professionals working to protect our planet and ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. This episode is a collaboration with the Sun Valley Forum in Sun Valley, Idaho. The Sun Valley Forum is an intergenerational meeting of forward-thinking professionals that come from a diverse range of disciplines. These experts are on the cutting edge of what's happening in the fight for our future, and they've all come together at the Sun Valley Forum to share ideas and to collaborate on solutions for a greener tomorrow. Let's get to the show. Alrighty, guys, welcome to another episode of Conservation Connection. We are very excited to be back at the Sun Valley Forum 2023 here in Sun Valley, Idaho. Got some great stories last year. We're getting some amazing stuff this year. And we are going to do a quick, awesome episode right now with Lauren Brainart. She is the public affairs director for a startup called Mino Carbon. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah, absolutely. We're so glad you could join us. So why don't we just start with a little bit about what is MinoCarbon? Yeah. So MinoWare Startup and our mission is to remove and sequester carbon as quickly as we can to mitigate the climate crisis. And we do that by taking in waste biomass, such as big slash piles that would normally get burned in the forest, and taking that in and creating biochar, which when put back into the ground, sequesters carbon up to a thousand years, supports regenerative agriculture. And then in the process, we generate renewable baseload electricity, creating green jobs in our rural timber dependent communities. So we're going to we're going to chop that up and go through every little piece of that because every <laughs> little piece of that is fascinating to me. But basically, the idea is that we've been pulling carbon out of the ground since the Industrial Revolution, coal, oil, natural gas. That's carbon that's been put away for a very long time below the crust of the earth. We're now taking that out, burning it, creating atmospheric carbon dioxide, which goes up and traps sunlight and contributes to climate change overall, right? So you're trying to reverse that process, pulling atmospheric carbon in the form of trees that have been pulling it out over their lifetimes to their own tissues, turning that into biochar, and then burying that underground. Yep, yep. And it's not, you know, full burial. It can be used in other products as well. And I think the thing here, right, is trees sequester carbon in our forests, you know, whether it's through wildfire prevention, thinning, or just timber harvesting, there's so much waste biomass that either gets left in the forest and reburned through catastrophic wildfires, or just gets burned in slash piles. And, you know, that is, that is not the best way to use all of that waste <laughs> biomass, right? There's so much economic and climate opportunity, whether it's through biochar production or sustainable aviation fuel or biofuel production, we can utilize these residuals for a climate and economic benefit. And our model is biochar production and then generating renewable electricity as well. So can you explain for me what is a slash pile? Yeah. So, you know, through let's just say traditional timber harvesting, right? Um, you know, they're taking in those logs, sending them to the local mills. And then in the process, they're taking off all of those, you know, limbs that that wouldn't create, you know, a board for example. They're really and, only interested in the trunk of the tree. Right, right. right. And so there's these 
limbs and tops and um, and then in the process kind of other woody biomass as well. And that's all sits in a pile for either a long time and, um, you know, gets burned in wildfires or degrades and releases methane or each, you know, each year they just burn these giant piles. And I live in the Northwest in the Pacific Northwest in Washington state. We are a big timber state. And even in my own backyard in Port Angeles, there are multiple days out of the year where there is extreme air pollution due to all of the slash piles that are burning in Florida. Sugarcane burning is a really big issue. So we, our facility takes all of this waste biomass, whether it's crops or timber residuals, and, and actually utilizes it instead of just wasting it. So why is something like biochar so important and so impactful? Yeah, so biochar in and of itself is really um, the kind of sponge of the soil, as we like to say. Um, when you look at biochar under a microscope, it's super porous. Um, and when put back into the soil, not only is 50% of that original carbon sequestered in the ground for up to a thousand years, kind of extending the life of that, of that sequestration and biomass, but also when it's put into the ground, it retains water, soil nutrients. Um, and you know, for, for agriculture, for example, you can use less fertilizer that, you know, is carbon intensive, for example, in the soil products industry, it can be a replacement for peat, which is a mined product in Canada, right? Destroying wetlands. It Biochar, you know, really can reduce scope three emissions in a lot of diverse products. We just heard Jigger Shaw from, from DOE talk about carbon black. Biochar can be a replacement for carbon intensive carbon black. That's awesome. So oh, I'm imagining biochar as basically charcoal made out of this slash piles like this mm -hmm. this waste biomass and it's so what is kind of the process of going from like hey here's a pile of tree limbs in the forest to here is something that we can sequester carbon with for a thousand years put it in the ground yeah so i'll kind of just tell you the process for Do how it, it works oh, so yeah. we only take waste so you know to, whether it's wildfire thinning, for example, for I'll give a quick example. We're working right now with the Colville Tribe, U.S. Forest Service, and the Department of Natural Resources. Timber companies will, you know, get timber contracts to log certain areas, and then they have these big piles. Our contractors that we hire would come and grind these piles. So, you know, there's these big limbs, and then they chip it, put it in a truck, and then they bring that truck to our facility dump it, and then we um, essentially take in that that biomass, heat it up to a certain, I think it's about 800 degrees, um, and then it creates that biochar. And it's in a really limited oxygen environment, which is different from full, you know, biomass energy combustion. It has that limited oxygen, and so it creates that super porous um, material. So it's basically, you're, you're creating like activated charcoal, right? Yeah, it, yeah it's one step. Um, before activated charcoal because okay. we're not actually activating it. But right. yes, it is very, very similar to that. Yeah, we can sell our biochar into the activated um, charcoal markets. And then what is the process for getting it into the ground? Like how do you select sites or, you know? I was wondering yeah. that too. I was like, what do you, do you just like dig a hole and like put <laughs> yeah. it in there? <laughs> well, you know, it's, we're, we're selling the biochar. So, you know, 
ideally by the tonnage. And so we're working with buyers that, um, you know, large scale buyers that can take that biochar, whether it's within the agricultural industry, for example, creating biochar enhanced fertilizers out of it, or whether it's a big box store that has their own soil products. So developing out those markets sort of at scale. We're, we're right now doing some initial trials with um, the Stevens County Conservation District and regional wheat farmers, as well as working alongside the Colville Tribal Reservation Conservation District and working with growers to apply biochar onto the regional wheat fields. But, you know, the larger goal is that we're not going house to house, you know, selling right. biochar. It's really right. by the tonnage because we will be the largest biochar supplier in North America when our facility is online, 40,000 tons. Wow. Right now, the average um, producer is about 100 tons. Wow. So we're we're trying to do this at commodity scale. We think the markets, you know, we're actively developing them and, and, and we'll meet that demand that will be coming. That makes a lot more sense than digging a hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically farmers are like, fertilizing their soil essentially with it, like tilling yeah, the land and however they go about it. Yeah, disking it in or whether we're working with a soil products partner, they don't, they can remove perlite and vermiculite and add in biochar. So it can be a replacement to a lot of more carbon intensive products. But yeah, cool. for agriculture, it is the biggest, it is the biggest co-benefits with nutrient water holding capacity as we, as our climate transitions into more extreme weather events and also droughts. Biochar can, um, you know, can support that water retention. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, I mean, when you think about some of the issues, large issues with industrial farming and the way that fertilizer is applied and the effects that it has, one of the biggest issues is when you have water runoff that's leaching all of these nitrogen, phosphorus intensive fertilizers out into our waterways, causing eutrophication where you're just obliterating water systems by adding all of these nutrients. So if you can slow down that water and help it stay in the soil as opposed to running off either at the surface level or underground, if the water stays in place, the then everything that gets applied to that soil stays where it's supposed to and we don't get the same issues with um, over fertilization that's destroying waterways. Yeah, I'll add on to that. Yeah, right now, one of the largest markets for biochar is within the remediation space, adding it to stormwater infrastructure, infrastructure that are alongside, you know, green infrastructure alongside waterways. Biochar has been proven to actually be able to filter out toxins and also, you know, toxic metals. Um, and they have been, there's a large um, air, airplane company um, manufacturer in our state that did it at a really large scale um, around their manufacturing sites. And oh. it's been proven to to reduce those pollutants going into our water streams, which is an EJ concern, right? Mm. Um, not only the air quality issues of, you know, big slash pile burning, but also if we're able to, you know, lessen that air pollution and then at the same time apply it along our waterways to prevent um, water pollution that is a win-win yeah that's amazing it really yeah. feels a little bit like a silver bullet of like kind of this it and then we haven't even gotten into the fact that you're utilizing the thermal energy from this to generate electricity right mm -hmm. so talk a little bit about how that process works yeah you know there's we we have waste heat 
right? And in, in when you when you burn anything, there's excess heat, right? And we could just send that up the stack, but why not utilize it for an additional climate benefit? And so for our first facility, we'll be partnering with a large utility in our state, a Vista Corporation. They, um, they have their own Kettle Falls generating station, which is a big biomass energy plant in our state. We'll be integrated with them. So the steam we generate, we send to a Vista that not only runs our plant, but also generates about 20 additional megawatts of electricity, which will um, electrify around 13,000 homes in the region, Jeez. which is amazing, right? And yeah. there, there, we're exploring other opportunities outside of that electricity, but for now, it makes it makes the most sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, like biochar, while it has all of these benefits, you know, we our company is under no assumption that biochar is going to you know, it is it is the only climate solution. You know, our founder is very clear that we need to mitigate, mitigate, mitigate. And this adds to it, right? It's um, this is just one of many solutions. One of many. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's very easy to oversell stuff, especially totally. when it comes to media. And we're very intentional on this podcast of like, there is no silver bullet. Even yeah. though this sounds like it, there's going to be limitations to every technology, every, every strategy that we're using. But if we can bring enough things together that are good enough, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be better than what we're doing now. That's how we move the needle. That's how we get real change uh, as fast as we can make it happen. Yeah. I want to add to that point because I think what I'm really excited about, I come from the climate policy world. So before Mino, I was, you know, building up coalitions to pass state and federal climate policy. And now we have, at least in Washington state, these really strong standards around that we have to meet around, you know, climate resiliency and, you know, significant cap and trade um, program in our state. And now it's time for businesses like us to innovate to meet those targets. Um, and what I'm really excited about Mino's idea is that it's scalable, right? This whole conversation, I've been thinking that here in Georgia, or yes. you know, in Georgia where we're from, pine is our number one agricultural export. There are massive amounts of the state covered in pine that is being sold as timber. I'm sure we have just as much waste biomass as you guys are have up in, in your neck of the woods. And how great would it be if we could have the, the, a Mino franchise in Georgia as well, producing this biochar. Oh uh, yeah, I don't think we're too far off. Good. <laughs> I think well, we're eyeing California, and you know, kind of where where we're located. But the southeast is, you know, our our kind of criteria for facilities, right, is significant feedstock, a certain percentage of feedstock in the area, waste biomass that mm -hmm. is underutilized. Right now, a connection to the grid, and then market opportunities for that biochar, right. which you know, you know the like southeast all of that also agriculture has. that's in the southeast in Florida, right? All of the agriculture oh, yeah. in Florida. Think of the citrus that requires a really particular soil type. Yeah, I I, I see a I see a southeastern expansion in your future. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we're 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 coming down. <laughs> Fantastic. Um. So how long has Minocarbon been around, and how long has this field and like industry of biochar been around? Because this is until we came to this conference, I hadn't heard of this. This is all completely new to me. Yeah, yeah. So Mino's been around three years. Um, you know, and our founder definitely saw the you know, the infancy of of biochar and having it been such a small scale industry. And, you know, his background is within the oil and gas industry. Um, commodity scale, 
big capital projects. And so, you know, he saw biochar as, you know, an infant market and something to really grow and, you know, is also raising young children and wanting to bring a better future for for those future generations. So, you know, that was his intentions of growing Mino. But biochar has been around for thousands of years, right? The origination of the, the product can go back to terra preta, right? When indigenous populations you know, in South America, we're using, you know, clay and burning crop residues and putting that in the soil to increase nutrients. So in so many ways, this has been, you know, it has been an agricultural practice for thousands of years. And Mino is never, we will never be, you know, take credit for innovating biochar. It is, you know, it's been around for forever. But I think what we are innovating around is scalability. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's yeah. never been, or it has not been done to my knowledge, which is often limited at this scale. Right. right? You're you're taking, what do you say, you're trying to produce 40,000 tons of biochar a year? Yeah. And we take in about 200,000 tons of waste biomass, Wow. which in our region, we'll be building our first facility in Northeast Washington, which according to the U.S. Forest Service is now a high wild, wildfire priority landscape. So there's millions of dollars going into these high priority wild, wildfire landscapes to reduce um, hazardous fuels. Right now, the U.S. Forest Service, DNR, Colville Tribes, and other partners, they have no market for that. We are bringing a market for this unmerchantable waste. Um, that would otherwise be burned and end up back in the atmosphere. 100%. Yeah. This is really cool. Are you guys hiring? Because like, <laughs> yeah. I want to be we, a part of this. Yeah, we will be. I mean, we're, we're a team of about nine folks right now. We have huge ambitions, right? We're going to be building our first facility. We want to expand, build six more of these in the next six years. Wow. So we will be rapidly expanding our business, um, hiring up. We need to, right? We we can't we can't just rely on our core team of nine. But you know, we're we're raising capital right now. We are, you know, raising our convertible note. We are going to be, you know, raising our project financing. Um, you know, working really closely with USDA right now around, um, you know, a big grant program that we applied for and then some loan guarantees. So we're we're ramping up right now. I would say check back in in the next six months and, and see where we are. Nice. I love it. So if someone wanted to find out more about you, biochar or minocarbon, where could we send them? Yeah, um, we have a website. So that would be minocarbon.com. There's an info, info at minocarbon. Let's definitely connect. Um, you know, whether it's exploring market opportunities, sales pipelines for, for our biochar, and also exploring regions, right? You mentioned the Southeast. If there are projects, folks, or sites that, that could be um, beneficial to future facilities, we'd love to hear about that. Um, oh, and, you know, I, I forgot to mention we're actively, you know, develop, we'll be selling what will be the largest biochar carbon removal credit purchase Um I believe to date biochar, not carbon removal credit solely. So that's another exciting opportunity and other carbon market um, or carbon credit buyers were interested in speaking with as well. Yeah, nice. absolutely. Yeah. So if you guys are listening, you want to follow their story, you want to learn more, you guys can scroll on down to the show notes. I'm going to drop that link right there so you guys can go straight from listening to this to learning more about MinoCarbon. Thanks for being on the show today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It was great. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. 
If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts helps other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it. A big thanks to everyone working to protect our planet, and a big thanks to you for listening. See you next time.